Paul Fadrick agus Shodiv the climate alarm clock. Pashakta Nigelga an agus Bankri na Fader Fadrick div Goler. It is Friday the 17th of March. It's St Patrick's Day and this is the climate alarm clock. <laughs> so in this week's headlines in the US, President Biden has approved a major new oil and gas drilling project in Alaska. Can Ireland meet our emissions targets for 2030? A new Friends of the Earth report finds that the government is failing to deliver on both climate plans and energy poverty. And the government has put the brakes on a proposal to decrease transport emissions. Hello and falcha guji and climate alarm clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Anna Pringle. Dara is taking a break this week, but we do have a full episode for you. And as always, I'm joined by the lovely Kira Daly, who is not wearing green today, but maybe should be. How are Hello. you, Kira? I'm good. How are you, Anna? Lovely I'm bit of Irish. Good girl. Oh, my and Colleen. <laughs> and we are also joined by a special guest this week, Tom Spencer. So Tom runs irishevs.com, which is a great source of information and knowledge on all things EV and many other topics. He is also the instigator of the Irish Greenwashing Awards. Um, Tom, you're very welcome back to the Climate Alarm Clock. I think it's very timely with all the talk of transport strategy to have you with us this week. Yeah, thanks very much for having me back again. Yeah, hell of a lot going on at the moment. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Right, good stuff. So you're very welcome. Um, so before we start, just a wee reminder that um, you can help support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com, the climate alarm clock. And I had, we had a nice comment this week for, from someone who bought us a coffee and said that um, they really enjoy the roundup and, um, you know, the, thanks for all the work we do. So we do appreciate oh. every little bit helps, as they say. So our first story this week that we're going to dive into is the story of the Willow Project. And this project um, was is a major oil and gas drilling project in Alaska. It faced huge opposition in the US from environmental activists and many people. And unfortunately, US President Joe Biden went ahead and approved the project this week. And it was cause of a lot of disappointment in Biden and in the fact that it's going ahead. So what is it? It's located on Alaska's North Slope, which is very remote and in the Arctic Circle. And it's going to invest about $8 billion. It's the largest oil development in the area for decades and it's going to have three drill sites including almost 200 wells so wow. think about that and the disruption of that when it's up and running it's going to generate 180,000 barrels of oil per day and what does that mean in terms of co2 it's like 278 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent over its lifetime and you know i hear those numbers i don't really know what that means but just to give you an equivalent that is like adding 2 million cars to the US roads every year for the duration of the project. So it's a massive, it's been described as a carbon bomb. And, you know, it's going to be, it's ConocoPhillips are the company behind the project. And of course, they're saying it'll create local investment, thousands of jobs. It was the right decision for Alaska and for our nation, said the CEO of ConocoPhillips. Um, so, yeah, so it's just a very disappointing development to see this getting approved at this point by President Biden, who has, you know, in the past has said that he wouldn't be doing any more 
uh, investment or any more oil and gas yeah. production in the Arctic Circle in particular. And here he is going back on his word. Yeah. I read a fact that it was saying, so this story, I actually only heard about it when we were obviously, you know, when you guys send me through my weekly ping of things to be devastated about. (laughs) (laughs) And then I became consumed by it. But I read something that it was, um, one of the figures was that, you know, in 30 years, it's going to be 2053 and three years after, that's three years after the date the US are supposed to have achieved a fully fossil free future. So, you know, it's no surprise really that people are so outraged by this it's kind of like just completely goes against what the the US like are supposed to be doing it's kind of mind-blowing yeah I mean the the sheer double standards of saying we're going to be fossil free by 2050 but yet we're going to do this 30-year project that's a carbon bomb and generating more emissions yeah it makes no I sense. Suppose another figure just to drive home, because <laughs> I was really consumed by this, and I want to bring everyone into the depression with me. Um, there was something, a figure, another figure that said that the the extraction project will create one of the largest carbon bombs, which is something that you met, mentioned uh, on, on U.S. soil. But that this carbon bomb would potentially produce more than twice as many emissions than all the renewable energy projects on public lands by 2030, like that they would cut combined. So basically, any good work that the US are doing is going to be erased by Biden signing off on this project. So it's not just that they're doing something bad. It's just like they're just completely going against everything, everything we're supposed to be doing right now. And it's kind of like from the country, one of the countries that are supposed to be saying they're the good guys. It's just a complete lack of... show of leadership or integrity or any sense of moral standing. Yeah. See, I think you've hit on something really interesting as well there, Kira, which is we talk about it necessarily in terms of like the amount of carbon that's emitted or or the the consequences that we're going to see of this. And one of the hidden consequences is is the mental health aspect of Mm -hmm. it. Like we're seeing a rise in climate anxiety or eco-anxiety, whatever you want to see it, the more that governments sort of renege on their promises, the more that we sort of see a rise of greenwashing, the more that we see emissions continue to rise. Like This really affects all of us. And we sort of, uh, you know, we make a good joke of it because we have yeah. to. Sometimes you have to laugh in the face of these things. But, you know, these kind of projects are really going to affect not only our physical health, but our mental health for the next decade, century. Yeah. And that's not really being discussed at the moment. And I think it's something that kind of should come to the fore a bit more. Yeah, yeah that, that's a that's a great point, Tom. Um, and in particular, I think it's worse when you have hope. Like you, have, you know, when <laughs> no, but I mean, it's worse. It's wor- I mean, it's worse when your hopes are dashed than it is not than just not to expect anything. If that makes oh, sense, yeah. you know. So, like when Biden was elected, he was elected on the back of votes by young people, and as the climate president. And for him to do that, it just feels like I imagine for the people who voted for him, feels like such a betrayal. As so, I think that makes it even worse than your hopes yeah. are dashed. And, and you know, a lot of the opposition to this, I mean, there was massive opposition in the US. There was something like 3 million signatures mm-hmm. on a petition. A lot of it was from TikTok, from young people. And for them to see that, that kind of betrayal, as you say, Tom, it, yeah, it has to have an effect on your mental state, I think, as well as everything else. What about, okay, so like, obviously the emissions, that's a very big reason for people to be really angry about it but what are some of I suppose the on the ground kind of effects like how is it going to affect the area where the actual projects are going to take place 
or are there effects? Do they need oh, to worry? Well, I mean, it's the Arctic Circle. It's a very, very um, at-risk landscape. And one of the reasons n- not to drill there is because of that. Mm-hmm. And so there's thi- and also, as we know, the Arctic is already affected more than any other part of the world by global warming. So one of the really... Um, scary things about this. So you've got like some of the the native villages are already facing rates of chronic illnesses. They're already seeing the pollution and so on. But one of the scary things about this is, and Elizabeth Colbert in the New Yorker pointed this out, the permafrost underneath where this is going on is starting to melt. Mm -hmm. So in order for the drilling to be on a secure foundation, they have to chill the permafrost. Hot. Think about that. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I know it's it's just it's mad stuff. And, and and you know, her quote on it, which I thought was a brilliant quote, is that she says a massive oil project that requires chilling the permafrost is unfortunately the perfect metaphor for our time. You know, so you're taking yeah. oil out that's melting the permafrost, and and so the whole area is unstable and environmentally very sensitive as well. Yeah. I saw something from, you know, the the native communities were saying uh, like that this was really exactly like it's just an example of what you said, I suppose. It's really just going to speed up the climate breakdown. And then it has the, you know, knock on effect of it's going to undermine our food security. So it's not just like this is a bad thing to do. It's like (laughs) it's really going to have like global effects. Yeah. um, yeah. I mean, Rebecca Solnit, who's a leading um, writer on the subject, um, she says it's an act of terrorism against the climate. Yeah. And that's how we need to think. But even Al Gore um, came out and called it recklessly irresponsible and a recipe for climate chaos. So, I mean, that's the depth of feeling against it um, that Biden just ignored and signed, signed it in, unfortunately. Well, just one of the things I thought was kind of interesting is, and we've already touched on it slightly, it was the number one trending topic on TikTok for a while because young people were actively engaged in trying to raise awareness of the consequence of this project. But I think what's really interesting is that set against the way that the media often reported it is, it's going ahead, mm-hmm. climate activists alarmed. Yeah. And there's still this disconnect that... Yeah only climate activists are going to be affected by the climate crisis. This yeah. idea that you, know, you you or I or anyone on this po- listening to this podcast is going to, we're really going to be harmed by this, but everyone else is going to be grand. And uh, I think there's often still this disconnect that even climate activists are the most renowned scientists in the world. These people that we sort of should be revering that have spent their life, you know, going to the very best colleges, getting the best education, and now are being widely ignored for saying like this is this is a really big problem which i think you know the the work of scientist rebellion is is so important in this context to start saying actually we have to treat this as a as a proper emergency as a crisis um but i I thought that was a really really telling aspect that the media still sort of pigeonholes it in that way yeah, absolutely. I mean, that framing means that anyone, you know, oh, yeah, it's annoying climate activists. So, you know, it makes it sound like it's not that big a deal um, because these fringe people are being annoyed by it. So, yeah, that's just, it's very disappointing to see that as well. How was it that Biden justified his support? Like for a guy who said he wasn't mm-hmm. going to approve any more of these projects, how did he kind of say, okay, this? how did he backpedal? Um, yeah, you know... <laughs> I think he's. I think he said he did say some things like that. He it was already there were already leases. Conical Phillips already had leases, and you know so it would have been hard to get out of it. So I don't think he backpedaled very effectively. The compromise. 
But wasn't it supposed to be five sites? So they, oh yeah, I think he was saying. That <coughs> oh yeah, he, so he reduced it to three sites or something, and and then also the day before, the same day, he blocked other drilling in the Arctic. You're kind of like, okay, yeah. why bother? Um, as, as Rebecca Solnit said, it's like, you know, he seems to think we do some good things and then some bad things that'll even out. She said, it's like, it's like, we're going to kill your mother, but we're sending guards to protect your grandmother. But it doesn't, you know, and her point is, yeah. it doesn't make your mother less dead if you yeah. do that, you know. So, um, seems so, yeah. like a kind of a, when I read that, I was like, that's such a crass comparison, but that's actually exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You decided to have to get over that. There was a thing, what I was reading about it, um, just, you know, about what I was looking, what I thought was interesting, and it kind of ties in with what you were saying, Tom, is there is this kind of sense of like, oh, it's just the climate activists that are upset about this. It's not the real people that we need to care about. And like, I'm absolutely no expert in politics, but I think it was maybe the Guardian article was talking about how essentially what Biden's doing is just taking a bet that by him becoming more moderate, he's going to be kind of improving his chances. There's an upcoming election, what, in the next 18 months? So he's going to be improving his uh, chances by essentially put like allowing this project to go through. But he's kind of playing both sides in that he's going to, you know, presumably play the line that he got, the, you know, there was a compromise and he brought, he reduced the impact of the project by bringing it from five projects down to three. But then for the other side who are, you know, really support, there obviously is a huge kind of support for the fossil fuel industry in the US. He can also play into them in that he's pushed it through and he's kind of enforcing his reputation as a moderate. I personally, I actually was having this conversation the other day with my father who works in the homeless services and I was talking about how here, even here in the Irish government, I think that like you can see the sa- similar things happening around the housing. And I think I like to think that politicians are really out of touch and really underestimating how pissed off, angry, like despaired people are at the things that are going on. Um, and I like to think that, you know, Biden is really underestimating that TikTok generation, you know, that like, it's very easy to dismiss them, but I, I really do hope that that outrage turns into action and that they do, you know, vote is kind of the easiest, the the main way that they can kind of uh, call for change. So I really hope that his yeah. bet does not pay off and but that the, people are kind of going to put their money where their TikTok videos are going on. I, well, I think you're right. Uh, the risk, though, is, I mean, Biden got in because it was a massive youth vote. Mm-hmm. The risk is it'll put them off voting and because there's no yeah. alternative to vote for in the US, you know, so so it's a high risk strategy. And I hope you're right. I hope they do come back stronger and hold them accountable. Um, but then what's the alternative Yeah, in the US? And it's anyway? really disgusting that people play politics with these. Absolutely. But now that kind of might be a good segue actually into our second story. Um, We will, by the way, there is still, just to finish off on the Willow project, there is still a lot of opposition to it. There is still a chance that it might get um, caught up in the courts, might not go ahead. And we will... um, there is a, a petition later that we'll, we'll put a link to in the show notes as well. Um, so our second story, we're looking at Ireland. And so, as we said, in the US, there's a lot of politics going on. Um, with the, We've got very strong climate targets here in Ireland. But in recent weeks, we have been seeing serious questions being raised about, one, whether we will actually hit the targets, and two, how committed the government really is to taking serious action to hit the targets. Um so just as an example, 
the offshore wind industry in the last week or two has talked about a U-turn in government policy that they say puts offshore wind targets at risk. They're saying that more than 80% of the, of the projects currently in the pipeline might now be frustrated because of what they're calling a policy U-turn. So that's one example. Another example we saw this week was a Friends of the Earth report um, that found that climate poverty is increasing. And what that means is that people, the percentage of people who can't afford to pay their electricity bills and their heating bills is going up. Um, and at the same time, climate action targets on retrofitting and housing aren't being achieved. So, you know, the government's new plans are, are failing on both levels here. Um <coughs> And then there was our transport strategy, which kind of kicked off last week. And I might just hand it over to you, Tom, to give us a, give us the background on that and, and what your perspective is and what's going on there. Yeah, wow, that's that's a hell of a, a hospital pass, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think the first thing to say is it's a plan to make a plan that eventually we will have a plan that might become a strategy, that might become a policy. It's, Happy it's St. Not... Patrick's Day, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow. Paddy would have gotten rid of the snakes, you know, it would have taken him much longer if he had to go through all this bureaucracy. <laughs> we would have had a plan for a strategy to get rid of the snakes. <laughs> By 2050, we might be snake neutral, possibly. <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> so but this, we, but we'd be plan, bringing I in think... some big snakes before that, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we'll, we'll have um, some sort of new technology that doesn't exist and isn't viable to suck some of the snakes out of the air and convert them into <laughs> trees. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think we've exhausted the snake metaphor. Carry on, Tom. <laughs> so essentially the plan... It, what I find quite interesting is is the way it's been sold. So on the face of it, I think the plan s suggests that we should be using more active travel and more public transport, which I don't think anyone would argue against. I think it is undeniable in the face of the climate crisis, this is the most sustainable way for anyone to travel. What's really interesting is it was sold as a very heavy anti-car policy. So it was the idea of, I think, a 400% increase in parking rates, things like low emission zones in Dublin and Cork and other cities, um, and ultimately trying to get more people out of their cars. And that should be a good thing. But the way it was sold was this idea of, I don't know, demonizing cars and saying, you can't have the thing you want. I think what we keep seeing is the government is sort of leading with the stick with the promise of a carrot further down the line, sort of, yeah. we will make public transport more available or cheaper, but only if you get out of your cars. And, and that's such a difficult thing when we have the second highest car dependence in Europe. Yeah. And also at a time when 76% of the new cars sold in Ireland last year were entirely reliant on fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Now, while I write about electric cars a lot, uh, there is absolutely no denying that active travel and public transport is the only way forward here, really. It's only because we have such a high car dependency and such a high level of particularly diesels being sold that... I think there is some viability in EVs, but that doesn't address issues like the amount of urban space that's dedicated to parking. It doesn't address issues like congestion. And it also doesn't address issues like um, energy poverty or climate poverty, as, as Friends of the Earth has put it. And I think there was a really interesting aspect to this as well. That was the, the very next day, um, Eamon Ryan came out and said that he is against the idea of free public transport um, because it would increase the, the level of unnecessary trips. Oh, Eamon, Eamon, which, Eamon. <laughs> What's unnecessary trips? Like seems, just going to work? <laughs> it seems so against the whole idea of... 
if if public transport works on volume, the more people are using it, the cheaper it is, and the more carbon efficient it is. It seems wholly stupid to say, you know, you have to validate this trip before you go on it. Well, I mean, it's there's a valid apparently there's valid research to say that if you have a limited number, a limited amount of money to invest in public transport, you're better off investing it in infrastructure and service rather mm-hmm. than investing in making it free. Okay, so that's I, I get that. If you have 500 million, put more buses on before you make them free. Fair enough. But it is just tone deaf the way he said it, and he just he he just does this so often where he just sets himself up for ridicule and criticism in the way he says things. So to come out and say you don't want people making unnecessary journeys, it's like, who are you to even judge that? It just Isn't seems so out of touch. touch. He, maybe he just misstepped. Because like, I know that I have often said things on this podcast where I'm like, oh, that is not what I meant. <laughs> like, yeah, is, yeah, but the, you're not the minister case, for but, transport. Yeah, but like, let's give him a break if a break is deserved. Could there be a possibility that he said something and he was like, oh no, and now it's gone crazy? Like, I don't know. I'm just asking your guys' Yes, opinion. but... Eamon Ryan does this regularly and he knows he's got like a gazillion advisors. He knows that everything he says gets picked up and distorted. Yeah. So um, he needs to be honest. He needs to be super, super careful. So, you know, people ran with that then and used it to criticise him and criticise the Greens as opposed to looking at the merits of whatever it was he was proposing. But then also people also need to cop on <laughs> because they're totally missing the point. Like the whole whole crux of what we're talking about is the fact that our emissions need to be reduced. Yes. And Eamon Ryan is the person responsible for bringing that plan together. The man didn't even bring the plan. He was just bringing a plan to create the plan. And before the plan even got approved, people started losing their minds because he wanted to do his job, essentially, is what Yeah, happened. I mean, but what happened was he was bringing a memo to cabinet that had some proposals in it for discussion, not proposals for implementation. And it's going to be a year-long process to develop the strategy. And the cabinet refused to even consider the memo. Yeah, so that is actually what the story should be. Like, that's what the big problem here is, not what he said. And and as a definite problem with the PR of it, that they are not selling they should consider how they're selling this to the public because there is a hearts and minds side to this where you need to show people, look, if we can give you the provision, particularly in rural areas, because there was, I have a a quote here from um, Carol Nolan, an independent TD, who said, these are just the latest in a long litany of deluded and detached policy incentives that bear no relation to rural Ireland or the wishes of the people. Now, I'm in rural County Clare. Mm -hmm. We don't have much provision for... Public transport, we do have some. It, it could be a lot better. But one that I thought was really interesting was Hannah Daly, who's um, a researcher down in Cork, did yep. a fantastic blog where she talked about trying to take her kids to school and trying to get to UCC to do work. And she compared uh, driving in her, I think, Nissan Leaf and the relative convenience of that and the amount of time it would take, the number of bus changes and the cost as well yeah. that it would take for her to do the same trip. And I think that's that's the problem that we're seeing is that disconnect constantly between we need to sell this as a positive, we need to be real about where we are. And the I mean, as we've seen with some other 
green issues this week. Um, their PR isn't excellent. <laughs> they could work on that. <laughs> but I think it also helps cover up the fact that we're not acting. Yep. You know, these are plans to make plans. But actually, we are so far down the line now that we are missing every emissions target. We shouldn't be making plans anymore. This should be about actual real action. And I know we have to sort of put in place the just to make that happen and make it enforceable. But we're so far behind, so incredibly far behind. And actually, one thing that I found that came out yesterday that, that was really interesting was the research that was talking about free public transport and how that doesn't necessarily translate to an increased use mm -hmm. was um, in Manchester. They lowered the bus fares. Now, obviously, this is a, a singular city and it is an urban environment, but they lowered the bus fares. So it was £2 for an adult single ticket and £5 for a daily ticket. That's a 17% real-world reduction in the cost, and that led to a 10% increase in use. So that's 1.5 million extra journeys during a cost-of-living crisis. That is a huge, huge difference for the majority of people who are really struggling. And one thing that I thought was really interesting was they did a survey of people who had used the transport after the cuts. And 60% of respondents said that it helped them have new travel opportunities, visiting more places more often. And yeah. I think that's so telling, the idea of we should be enjoying life. It's okay Absolutely. to enjoy life. It's okay to have unnecessary journeys. And <laughs> I think we often talk about it from an able-bodied perspective. Yeah. If we're talking about people who are struggling financially or people who might struggle from an accessibility perspective, offering them the opportunity to go somewhere they wouldn't normally go is a fantastic thing that we should be pushing for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the um, the senior free travel for for pensioners you know I know people who just you know they go to Limerick for the day on the train because they can yeah that's an unnecessary journey but as you say it opens up their world you know and gives them opportunities to do things that they couldn't if we can't to. enjoy ourselves yeah. what are we working for I know do you know what's so sad and so telling like last night the points that you guys are making I was trying to say it but I, I couldn't and I had to google because I remember my remember I used to always go on about United Ireland the podcast with Una Malali Yes, Andrea Horan and I remember Andrea Horan giving this line I had to Google how she described it because I couldn't even find the words because I'm so brainwashed by the idea that I have to work to, you know I have to earn all this money and I have to put in all this time before I even bother to think about sitting down and maybe just chilling out and her the way that she described it was contrary to all the neoliberal messaging we're hit with on an ongoing basis life is supposed to be fun it's supposed to feel good like, how, why did I have to Google that to be able to even have that thought? That's, But like, honestly, that's so telling of like the messaging that we're being bombarded with all the time. Don't take an unnecessary trip. Like, just fuck off. Keep that in, Rob. Don't edit up my swearing. <laughs> I think there's something really telling in that as well, which is if you watch any car advert. Now, I write about cars, but I'm also possibly one of the most anti-car people you might meet at the moment. <laughs> Every advert is a, is selling you freedom, getting this massive, yeah. oversized vehicle that only one person's going to be in that can mow down a child with ease, but have your freedom to do so. <laughs> and what we're saying in Ireland but, is... And every, and every ad, sorry, is an empty road as well, an yeah. empty road through pristine forests. Exactly, you know, if, if but don't ads, you dare take a bus. <laughs> if car ads had like, you know, the Drumcondra Road at nine o'clock on, you know, Tuesday morning, it would not sell any cars. Yeah. 
Exactly. We see we always see these these amazing videos of bus lanes that work with buses <laughs> flying past congestion. We know that that's the way forward. But if we sell public transport in Ireland as well, don't you dare take an unnecessary journey. Then, <laughs> then the I, this myth that advertising sort of perpetuates of this is freedom. You can listen to your own music. You can have your own space, and you can help destroy the planet. You know, it's real freedom and. Yeah. We have to start selling public transport as a viable and attractive option. Go and see the beauty that Ireland has to offer in the most sustainable way and enjoy it. And and maybe socialise, maybe have some crack yeah. on the bus with but, other but, people. But, what it. even right is missing is that if people can actually get out into the countryside and get out to nature and get out to places that are quiet and peaceful, they're going to connect with nature and then they're actually going to give a shit about what he wants them yeah. to care about. And, and not just Eamon Ryan, all the ministers, but... But not yeah, if they're sitting just, in the cars. But yeah. I mean, and the other thing has I been mean, to your point, Tom, about PR is that there are actually some really good stories from around the country as well mm-hmm. about public transport. Like um, where I'm from in Donegal, they've got a local link service now that is... Passes mm-hmm. through the door where I am today. Yeah. Four days, my, four times a day, my mother tells me every time it goes past. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's vastly improved in the last few years. And like, I, I know a neighbour of ours who's an elderly lady, the, the bus, and it's in the very rural area, the bus comes and picks her up almost at her door and takes her into Donegal Town once a week. That is her social outlet. The bus here brings you yeah. to the beach. Don't tell Eamon Ryan. Nobody <laughs> needs to go to the beach. He's going to cut that off. That is definitely an unnecessary journey. You could be doing that on foot, Kira. Come on. And do you know what the ironic thing is? It's the beach that's going to be gone in 50 years. Wow, everything's so intertwined. I know. True, true. <laughs> but we need to be getting those positive stories out and it drives me nuts the rural Ireland discourse about, you know, it's the death of rural Ireland. They have to have cars. EVs won't work in rural Ireland. Actually, they would work far better in rural Ireland mm-hmm. than in the cities because people have room for chargers, typically. Um, it's just so annoying. We're also seeing, I mean, EVs often end up being reduced to electric cars, but we're seeing electric bus fleets that are serving yeah. rural areas. Like, that's the way forward. Absolutely. Uh, a l- ultra-low emission Zero emissions, let's be honest, isn't true unless you're running everything directly from renewable power, which hopefully we yeah, will in the future. Yet. But but public transport that is as low emissions as possible, run by EVs that aren't going to perpetuate things like, you know, um, respiratory issues, that's that's the way forward. It's a great thing. And we are doing it. You're right. We should celebrate where we do have the wins because <laughs> it is easy to sort of get bogged down in the mire, I think, sometimes. So, guys, to come back to the strategy itself or the memo for the strategy, it's not happening, essentially, or it's what's happened there. There was obviously a bit of a parallel. Well, I saw it anyway. I don't know if you guys are quite as clever as I did, but there's quite a bit of a parallel here (laughs) to what's going on in the US because what's happening, what I think it was, I don't know which publication said it, but they were saying that local council seats are up for grabs next year. So it's really likely that this memo has been put on pause right now because they don't want opposition being placed on, they don't want a focus being placed on these plans. Yeah. So likelihood is that these policies are going to wait until the second half of the government's term. And that means there's going to be less chance that any of the necessary uh, actions or decisions around car use are going to be dealt with or even going to be implemented uh, by the current cabinet. So again, it's just another 
idea of putting their own kind of political progression ahead of the actual important issues that we are electing them to bloody deal with. So that's a nice one to kind of celebrate St. Patrick's Day with. Snakes everywhere in the US and in Ireland. Yes, well, you know, I think stay tuned. It'll have to happen. We have a 50% reduction target in emissions for transport that the government has signed up for themselves. Um, So hopefully we will start to see some things. But the other thing that struck me about that story as well is that it means we all have to change. So there will be things like, you know, maybe there'll be less parking on my street in Dublin and I have to be okay with that. Or maybe I will have a congestion charge to go into the city centre and you know what, I'll leave the car at home. I'll be okay with that. But and it's easy for me to say that. It's not easy for everyone, but but we all will have to make some changes. Yeah. Well, let's finish with an, a nice positive, which was, and maybe we could emulate this, in Belgium this week, they announced that all Bel- Belgians are entitled to a bicycle allowance for their commute to work. I uh, wouldn't work in rural Ireland, Donna. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, we work in Dublin. Um <laughs> Okay, I think um, more, lots more to come on that transport story. So we'll move on now, I think, to our news roundup. Um, and I was struck this week by a couple of stories from off our southwest coast. This is one that I know will fill us with joy. Um, there's a super trawler currently fishing off the Cork coast that is called the Death Star of the Oceans. <laughs> I just see the Death Star when I hear that. Um, And this is this giant trawler that is hoovering up everything in front of it and very, very destructive environmentally. And then also on our southwest coast, more interestingly, Skellig Nihil has been chosen as a site for a climate change study. So it's one of some UNESCO sites, heritage sites around the world that has been chosen to look at the effects of climate change. Um, So that should be interesting to see what comes out of that. And hopefully it's a a positive way of protecting sites like Skellig Mohill. You know what's funny about that story? I saw it on RTE. It was almost like, oh my God, we're great. I was like, no. (laughs) Yeah, I know. They're checking out. (laughs) Our world is eroding, weirdos. (laughs) I know. I suppose we're great because it's important enough of a site to be chosen uh, yeah. for. Go you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, do I have to do all these? MDLs want to do them? Um, well, I've got one. Anna, you and I are always giving poor old Bernie Looney a hard time. But actually, it turns out he's a good guy because a Saudi Arabian company, Saudi Aram- Aramco, have reported a record $161 billion profit for 2022. So that's more than the results reported by Shell. You have to laugh because if you don't, you'll cry. BP, Exxon and Chevron combined. So, formal apology, Anna. Ah, yes. We're sorry, okay. fossil fuel industry. Well, you're actually not that bad. We take it all back, <laughs> Shell and BP. You're you're in the halfpenny place compared to Saudi Aramco, which is, by the way, owned by the Saudi government, which is, by the way, one of the most repressive governments in the world. But, you know, we won't go there. And we were looking forward to the next COP where we have a, where we have a head oil person presiding as president over the event. Isn't that going to be a wonderfully progressive event? (laughs) And yes, and he was actually just in Houston this week. That same guy from the Emirates was in Houston this week talking to the oil industry and telling them that they need to play a positive role in (laughs) in climate change. So I thought, yay, go, keep talking to yourselves, guys, and um, tell yourselves how great you are at helping with climate change. 
But then we have another story, which is if the CO2 won't kill us, there's always phosphorus waiting for us. So, <laughs> you know, as if we don't have enough Armageddon stories, scientists are now warning of phosphageddon. Yeah. <laughs> which is, again, part of fertilizers are just dumping phosphorus all over, wrecking waterways, etc. So if That's you a really interesting one, actually. So I think we definitely need to kind of keep an eye on that and go into it in one of the next episodes. Okay, we'll do that, Kira. Um, and um, Tom, you had noticed something from French TV that was a bit more, um, was interesting as well? Yeah, happy news. I, I bring happy news. <laughs> um, so there are two state channels in France, state TV channels, France 2 and France 3. They are now changing their weather forecasts to be known as weather, weather and climate bulletins. So they are going to use it as an opportunity not only to talk about the weather, but also to talk about why it's happening. Right. So they are specifically bringing the climate into it, which I think is an amazing thing yeah. to do. It's such a brilliant opportunity on a daily basis to educate people about what's going on, the differences and the connections between weather and climate. And actually, they're also taking questions from people um, on social media or people that view the station to try and address some of the misconceptions or some of the knowledge gaps that people have. It, brilliant, brilliant, easy idea that people can engage with really easily. And I think... Um, would be something we could definitely see here. It would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. There's one other thing that got buried in the story as well, which I think is really interesting, which is that say those two TV stations have also said that they are not going to use planes for reporting. They're encouraging all journalists to use trains. Um, they've said with the exception of emergencies, they will not use planes in mainland France, Amazing. which brilliant. Excellent. Another actually interesting thing that is not greenwashing an actual action, which is uh, brilliant. So well done to uh, France 2 and France 3 for giving us some actual positive news. That's great. And actually there was research done in Australia. They did something similar where they used weather forecasters as climate change communicators. And because they're already great communicators, people listen to them already. And they found it had a massive impact on people's understanding of what was going on with the climate. So, um, so it's great to see that in France as well. Okay, so actions for this week. Kira, you found a great resource. You want to tell us about that? Yes, Anna. So on, I was scrolling through Instagram the other day and I came across um, a woman called Roisin Fitzgerald who had this amazing resource, um, which was basically just a list of all of these organisations, all of these influencers, resources, media, news outlets, just general kind of climate information that you can, she's got them all compiled together that you can go through, pick out things that you know, you find interesting and learn about. And then when I was scrolling, I saw the climate alarm clock and I was like, ah! So that was pretty exciting as well. Actually, but, um, we were yeah. top of her podcast list, which was nice to see. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. So thank you, Roisin Fitzgerald, for this fabulous document. And thank you for including us. But it's a great way of figuring out how to get involved in things. So check it out. We'll put it in the show notes, the links to it. Yeah. Tom, any actions from your side? Yeah, actually, there's a fantastic change.org petition. Um, say no to the Willow Project. Um, it'll be in the show notes, but a fantastic, fantastic petition. It's got 3.8 million signatures already, and this is a direct way that people can get involved in trying to stop um, the horrific project that we were talking about at the top yeah. of the podcast. So um, go check that out. Yeah. Great stuff. Thanks, Tom. And it's spring equinox coming up. So, you know, enjoy the longer evenings. Enjoy the bit of spring that we are seeing now. And um, make sure you get out into fresh air in the next week. Yes. 
Take those unnecessary journeys, you levels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it for this week. It was lovely chatting to you, Kira. Lovely having you on again, Tom. Um, yeah, nice having you, Tom. As well, it's great to be here. Thank you. So if you enjoyed listening, please share the podcast with a friend. And if you haven't already, take a moment to rate and review it as that helps us to reach more listeners. Who knows what countries they might be in this week. Um, And a reminder, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter and Mastodon at The Climate Alarm. And remember, we do have a donation page on buymeacoffee.com forward slash The Climate Alarm. If you would like to um, throw a few bob our way to keep us ticking over and wherever in the world you are, we would appreciate that. Um, Next week, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, releases the last report in the sixth assessment and we will be focusing on that next week. I know that fills you with joy, Kira, to think about that. My favourite topic. And that is it for now. So, Slán Gafal agus Bánachtí Lála Fárig Liv Gullier. If we can't enjoy ourselves, what are we working for?